Sasha Thompson is a respected and certified DEI coach. For the next 30 minutes, we'll get an exclusive look at some of her conversations with others in the field. Welcome to DEI After Five. Hello and welcome everyone to DEI After Five. You know, I'm often asked, where did I get the name DEI After Five from? And so I wanna share with you just a little secret. There was a time where I spent a lot of time in Seattle and would call a friend that was in the diversity space as well. And I would say, okay, what are you doing after five o'clock? And we would have some very, very wonderful conversations <laughs> over our, our favorite beverage. And so I want to bring her um, up right now and welcome and introduce everyone to Ico Bethea. How are you? Happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me and having me here. You know, it's it's just been, I'm trying to remember, I think we actually connected maybe about three or so years ago and just became fast friends. And then it became this very regular thing of like, hey, I'm going to be in Seattle. Um, let's meet up. Let's catch up. <laughs> let's commiserate um, in some points or let's, um, let's scheme. So <laughs> all of the things, all of the things. But, you know, talk to me. I want, I want folks to know just a little bit about you because what you're doing now isn't what you were doing a few years ago. Like you were, you are still a practitioner, but you were kind of in the space and, and moved out. And so can you talk or share a little bit about that transition? Yeah. Um, I would say that just like a lot of people I had a lot of different iterations of my career, starting as a litigation attorney at a big firm, moving to being a government attorney, moving to Seattle where I met you where I worked at the Gates Foundation as leading a compliance team there. But while I was there, I also started the first employee resource groups. And then leaving there and working solely in the equity space at a biotech company there. And when we decided to move back to Atlanta, where there are more black and brown people and we're raising our kids, I just decided to take a bet on myself and say, okay, you know what, I'm gonna do this 100% in terms of the work that I love and working with people who really helped me to thrive, which oftentimes were people who look like us. And let me take a go at it because I was kind of just doing it a little bit on the side and it was already meeting the same amount as my annual compensation. I thought, what will happen if I did this rather than just five or 10% of my time if I was doing this full time? Mm -hmm. And that's how I ended up uh, with Rare. I was already a certified coach. I was already coaching executives and was working in the, you know, as an executive. And I wanted to make that shift of defining success on my own terms. And it's been a win since then. I love it. You know, one of the things that I talk about a lot on this show is the importance of community and the importance of connecting with people that you see things eye to eye, not necessarily always see things eye to eye, but understand kind of your perspective and where you're coming from or what you've experienced. And, you know, when we would have some of our conversations, I found that I was, I didn't have to explain so many things because you, you got it, right? Like you already knew and you understood. And so for me, that was me starting to understand the importance of community 
but also finding people that are part of your, I call it like your circle of support that will challenge you. And I know now a lot of that was probably the coach approach <laughs> to, to, to working with me or talking to me. But talk a little bit about, you know, the importance of community and finding folks that will push and challenge you. Yeah, I think so. A few things. When you and I met, I don't know if you remember this, but we met on LinkedIn. Mm. You reached out out of nowhere <laughs> and you were vulnerable in terms of this is what I'm dealing with. This is what I think I want to do next. And this is why. Mm. And also I realized you were sore. So already it closed our connection gap and proximity gap. One thing that makes it very difficult um, or creates barriers for people in that beginning phase of getting to know each other and how vulnerable I'm going to be is that a lot of people aren't as forthcoming. So the fact that you came out right away saying, I have this challenge, and then perhaps you can help me or we can have a conversation about it. It let me know right away that you were open, you were a learner, and you were willing to say, you know what, I don't have all this together, but maybe you can support me in this. And it made it really easy for me to close a gap between us. But a lot of times uh, relationships aren't created like that. It's you show yeah. me yours and I'll show you mine, maybe. And so you never get to what I call the real good space, right? Where you're not having to put on any kind of facade. You're not having to pretend. And that's really the richness of relationships and therefore also becoming community. And part of my work or effort is to make sure that that's more accessible to people, which means I show up a certain way. And that means I invite them to show up a certain way too, and maybe for them to learn how to, because we have to do a lot of unlearning to even get to that point sometimes. Yeah. So when you talk about community, community is a validation space. It's a space for affirmation. It's a space for healing. It's a space for joy. It's a space for grieving. And it's also a space for what, I love what you said, where we push each other, where, which is where that's where a lot of learning happens. But that's also where a lot of the growth happens. It's also where a lot of the pain happens. And there's no better place or space to do that, except when you feel that you're in community and community is going to hold you, right? Yeah. yeah. Like I'm just flashing back to, I think, one of our conversations where you were just like, girl, why are you staying in this foolishness? <laughs> <laughs> just, and it was just so right. real, right? Like, it was just so real. And I think at the moment, I, you know, I was kind of like, well, I, I want to fight through. And then it took me a while to be like, why am I staying in this foolishness? Like, I don't need that. But, and I don't even think you, we've talked about that, the impact that that had on me realizing like, mm -mm, I deserve so much better than this. Yeah. Right. And so it's having someone in your community that sees that there's something on the other side. Right. Mm -hmm. And so as I'm talking to folks, I, I was talking to someone earlier this week that was in a similar space where, you know, I'm just like, well, why are you putting up with this? What what are you getting out of it? And realize like, OK, it's the same thing that you you know did to me. It's It's that shock value. Um, but sometimes we need that. Sometimes we really need someone to just kind of put their foot <laughs> square in our butt to let us know, okay, this might not be what, you know, you may be going down a path that may not be best for you. So I'm going to, so one, yes. The other part is for somebody to do that with you, they have to not only see what could be down the path for you, but they have to believe in you 
Yeah. And you also have to value your worth. Yeah. And oftentimes we don't go in or have spaces like that where people believe us and believe in our worth and our capabilities. And oftentimes for us, women, people of color, it can look like us also not knowing our own worth. Yeah. And if you also fall in these other categories like first generation, immigrant background or whatever it is, you're told this narrative over and over again about don't leave that good job. That good mm-hmm. job usually means working for somebody else and um, according to their terms. You need those benefits. Don't leave those places. And so a lot of times we're in this default stage of always self-sacrifice and not thinking about our worth versus thinking that we should be grateful to be in that job. So to have the conversation that we had, I totally was like, oh, man, this girl's brilliant. Why is she still there? I also have a love for our community where I think about so many of us are leaving this world too early. Yeah. And part of that is a price that we're paying being in these spaces that aren't honoring us or holding us. And I don't want that for any of us. Right. And then the other part of why. So I want to ask you a question is when you started thinking about this and you had these aha moments, what was your answer to yourself when you said, why am I staying here? You know, I, and I thought about that answer quite a bit. Um, at the time, my answer was because I want to fix this. Right. I want to fix what I'm in. Yes. I don't want to give it up. I, yeah. I know that I can do what is needed to be done. I just have to get these barriers out of my way. Um, hindsight being 2020, it's, and I had this conversation, I can't remember who I was talking to recently on the show about we put this cape on, right? I'm superwoman. I have to be the, I don't have to be the one. And it took me realizing that. And another coach saying to me, where do you have the most impact inside or outside of that organization? And so it was just the combination of those things that caused me to think about, one, where do I have the most impact? Mm -hmm. Two, where can I be that's going to value what I do? And three, what can I do that is not going to take my health away from me. That's right. Right. Cause you know, when we were talking, I was losing my hair and you know, all of those things. And I was like, if nothing is worth that, that's right. Nothing is worth that. That's so right. yeah, I think that's, that's where I was at that point. I love that. And being able to even interrogate that idea of, I want to fix things, but I don't have to be the superwoman here. And at what cost to me, um, and that's, of course, another default behavior we have a lot in terms of being the fixer, fixers, being the saviors, being the nurturers um, at our own expense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a lot of unlearning behavior yeah. that we have to do. The other thing that came up as you were talking was the sense of imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. right? Like we have this, I'm not good enough. You know, maybe I don't have what it takes. Um, And, oh gosh, Rashika, and I'm forgetting, yes, you know, they've been doing a phenomenal job talking about this and flipping it to maybe it's, it's not you, maybe it's the environment that you're in, right? And starting to question that. 
And I think, especially for women of color, people of color in that space, when you start to think, is it the environment? You really start to believe, realize, okay, it's not me. I'm just in a place that may not value me or may not support me learning and growing. <coughs> yeah. So it's, it's just, it's interesting because I think once you have community, you start to see those things. People start to ask questions that cause you to, to open up your, your mindset That's into right. what reality actually is versus kind of your tunnel vision. Um, so I, I want to do a little bit of a pivot because we've touched on it a bit, but in our conversations too, you talked about coaching. And I think you were probably one of the first people, first people that I spoke to around coaching being something that can be done. Mm -hmm. um, and so talk to me a little bit about why coaching could and should be a thing that people think about. Um, let's start there because then I have a second mm -hmm. question. So first thing I want to say is anybody watching this, if you have not read Ruchika and Jodi Ann's article on HBR about imposter syndrome, uh, do, because it's a great learning. And they also had a podcast interview with Brene on Dare to Lead. So mm -hmm. totally worth your time. Uh, in terms of coaching, this is what I'll say first as a big caveat is that um, every coach is not working at the same altitude and the same quality. Yes. So I'm just going to put that out there right there because everybody and their mama now is a coach. But I will say the reason why I went um, to become trained as an executive coach and why now I'm hired to train other executive coaches is because I had the benefit of executive coaches um, and was grateful for the fact that I didn't have to come out of my pocket. I didn't even know this. these people existed and mm -hmm. it can be quite costly. And I realized, wow, this is a space that I need. And I realized there weren't a lot of people who looked like us in this space. Mm -hmm. And as clients started coming to me, I realized, wow, these clients have had really um, harmful experiences with other folks. So it's kind of like if you're um, a black person, you have a coach and they're not from, they're not black and they're questioning you saying, are you sure that was racist? Are you sure that's what happened? Or if you're a woman, and you've shared that, hey, I think that was really sexist what happened. And you're sharing this with your coach and your coach says, are you sure? Are you sure that's what happened? Now, I'll be clear that, you know, oftentimes even in community, somebody in community who's black might also say the same thing because a lot of us have to be, have to decolonize ourselves. Yeah, A lot of us have been in white spaces for a long time. And we've been drinking the same water as everybody else in terms of the toxicity and white supremacy and those things. But having an executive coach, the value is being able to zoom out and to be very intentional about not only what type of leader you want to be, but understanding what do you really value and what does that look like? Mm -hmm. And how do I become intentional about making sure that I'm living a life that honors that? And that doesn't only mean in my professional relationships, but it also means in terms of the profession I'm in, how I'm treating my team, how I go about pursuing what I want. Is it okay for me to be competitive and a backbiter because that's how people get ahead in the system and I go home feeling like crap? Mm -hmm. And it's even the conversation that we had where you zoom out and you realize this system is really messed up. And this is, and I can't fix this because the system is laced with a degree of white supremacy that there's no breakthrough here. It's good enough for me to stay here. And I can't make that impact internally. You can have that conversation 
within um, the context of having executive coach. You can name things, be vulnerable and fears and things that you have that maybe you can't tell your boss or somebody else who might weaponize that against you when you're going up for a promotion or something. So you get to have this space with somebody and in a professional sense where they are actually supporting you in navigating a workplace. Mm -hmm. And we, there's not a lot of that. Like you can have therapists, but therapists aren't necessarily there to help you to navigate the workplace in this professional sense and helping you to make intentional choices around work and things. Right. There is a difference between an executive coach. There's a difference between a therapist and there's really a difference between a consultant. And yep. many people think, because they're mad when I'm not giving them an answer and say, do this, do this, do that. Now, if you want me to take off my coaching hat to be a consultant, I can do that all day long. But coaching helps you with behavioral change because you understand your why, you understand what's motivating you. Yeah. Right. And that leads to sustainable, long-term, intentional change in decisions versus this one specific task and how do I tackle it for the best outputs for that task? Right. You know, one of the things I, I tell clients too is as a coach, I'm asked ask a lot of questions. I'm not going to give a lot of advice. I may give some advice because I know the space, but I'm going to ask you questions because I want you to come up with solutions that make sense for you. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's the difference. There's so many, and you hit the nail right on the head. There's so many consultants that call themselves coaches and think that just giving advice is coaching. And it's not. And so I, I, that was kind of the question that I was going to ask is to clarify between the two, because I think they do get confused and conflated quite often um, between being a consultant, especially in the diversity space, right? Mm. Being a <laughs> and being a coach. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a whole conversation. We talk about coaches and everybody, their mom wants to be a coach. There's also this thing about um, just when people are talking about the DEI space, fear in this this person was interviewing me the other day and they're like there's a lot of charlatans out here <laughs> i was mm -hmm. like well i never thought about it that way but there absolutely is and uh you've got to really understand what you're looking for and um be really clear about what your standards are and your expectations and make sure you're aligning with your your coach on access because some coaches will be unable to see systems at work because they've never yeah. experienced them and they have no context for them yeah and you need to make sure that it's somebody who's going, you're going to be able to create a strong coaching alliance with. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's important, right? It's having a relationship with that coach. Absolutely. Um, and a therapist isn't going to have a relationship with you. Like that's, <laughs> that's not what they do. Um, right. They will have a working relationship with you. Right. But your coach, you, you need to make sure it's going to be someone that <laughs> see, like there's a connection there um and they as you said earlier like they see the future for you um but aren't going to tell you how to get there right they're going to work with you to figure I support out support you as you create it um yep, exactly. and you're able to give yourself permission to ask certain questions because oftentimes like the conversation you were um speaking of earlier sometimes that's the first time somebody asks you so how is that serving you because sometimes we're used to taking ourselves last that we never think about oh it should be serving me. It should be doing something for me. Mm -hmm. um, well, what is not working for you? Maybe you're so busy surviving and coping that you never thought, actually, I have permission to thrive and I should be thinking about what's working for me and what do I want? 
Yeah. And a coach will push you to to have permission to do those things and to ask those questions. On the other hand, your coach will also push you in a way to say, how might that be causing harm? Right. Even to other people. That's part of, you know, I coach people of all identities and part of my coaching is always going to center people of color. If you're a white person in the seat in front of me, you're going to know that I'm not dismissing all these other people and even a part of myself as we're talking because it's valid in terms of you being very aware and intentional again about the system you're navigating and whether you're being um, making decisions that are by default because you can't see anything else. Right. Or in a way that's causing impacts and consequences that you're not aware of, but doesn't align with your values. Yeah. So either way, I want to support you in being more expansive and intentional about who you want to be and don't want to be. And sometimes you're not going to get pushed in a certain way because the person in front of you, your coach, doesn't even know about other possibilities or systems. And they have some default thinking just like you. Mm-hmm. And that's why, you know, all of the coaches on our um, I have a coaching bench, all of our coaches in our collective, they're all people of color. I was just going to ask you about that. Yeah. Talk, talk, share a little bit more about that. Cause I think it's important um, that one, well, let me back up. If you look at the coaches within the ICF, right. The International coaching federation. I want to say it's less than 5%. I think it was one of the numbers that I saw were people of color. Yeah. At least in the U S. Um, and so Talk to us a little, talk to me a little bit about kind of this collective and this bench that you have and kind of your goals with that. Yeah. So the goal, again, going back to the idea, why do I even want to do this? One, I experienced the power in of this work and having an executive coach. I also realized it was really cost prohibitive for a lot of us. And I realized, wow, I didn't even know executive coaches existed because it was something that was very elitist, right? Mm-hmm. And actually, once upon a time, coaching was mainly just used to either coach people out of an organization because they had issues or it was somebody who was so high performing or at the highest altitude, like the CEO who had the benefit of a coach. And I think they'd even frame it as instead of an executive coach, they would call it a business coach. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is another space where we're basically excluded from. Not only in terms of uh, that being a possible profession for us, because we don't know it exists, as well as it being a uh, possible tool for us in our growth. And then I thought, wow, whenever you have those kinds of spaces, that means even the people who this work is accessible to are somehow working at a deficit because they don't have the benefit of the more expansive thinking and approach as other people who've been excluded. And it makes a big difference um, for folks. And I thought, one, it's another um, it's another career track that many of us are excluded from but that so many would benefit from. And I thought, you know what? A lot of coaching programs are not all equal. We know that. And I would like to be able to support coaches in becoming as good as they want to be at their brand. Open new ways of thinking about coaching and approaches. Help them to uh, hone their craft. The other thing is I have the privilege of being able to have clients who are, you know, Fortune 100, Fortune 50 clients. And oftentimes, as you know, Sasha, people don't give us chances. They keep going to the same people over and over again. And so I'm going to make sure that there is a um, runway for people who look like me to also be able to work in those spaces. 
Um, and I want us to just feel good about the quality we're delivering. And there's just a lot of things, you know, black people, we're in the con we have the concrete ceiling. We don't have the glass ceiling. So that means that we don't even know what's possible or what's up there because we've been excluded yes, for so yes, long yes. and it's been hidden. We don't have the virtue of maybe I couldn't do it because I'm a woman, but my father, brother, uncle, grandfather and people have done it. We don't have any of that. So my job is to make it a lot, a lot more transparent and accessible versus opaque. So where I go, I'm going to bring other people and also show these are the things I've learned that work and that don't work because we don't get that. Yeah. And so that is my goal around having um, a coaches of color bench and to be able to make sure that when folks do go into these different organizations, I've already prepped the client. We are coming from a perspective as people of color. I'm also being clear about how we expect to be treated as professionals and experts. Mm -hmm. And as you know, many times we are treated very differently when we are the consultant, the coach or whomever. Because we people aren't used to seeing us as a subject matter expert, so therefore we're constantly questioned yep. and pushed. And I'm very clear about the me <laughs> and the people on my coaching bench. This is the quality in which we expect to also be engaged with. Yeah, and a lot of us don't have the space to be able to do that all the time, and that's where I want to make sure that my team experiences. And if you can't get down with that, then we're probably not the folks you want to work with anyway. Right. I love it. I love it. So I'm going to do a little bit of a pivot. Yeah, sure. So one of the things that I always ask my guests, <coughs> talked about it just now too a little bit, is, you know, this work is about, is pouring into so many other people, right? We're, get, we're putting the cape on, we're giving, giving, giving. What do you do to fill yourself up? How do you fill your cup? Oh, so I wasn't even going to talk about this. <laughs> so uh i have always been into um uh stuff that's escapism be it with music or be it with um different books futuristic books other things like that so i guess you say i'm a black nerd i'm a blurred but so one of the things i did a lot over um covid because we were seeing black people murdered on tv on a reel over and over again, and just all the foolishness that's been happening um, that's totally not even COVID related that we've had to deal with all the time. I need some escapism. So every day I go on these walks and I just listen to my books because I'm an audible junkie. Hmm. So I'm gonna tell you that my guilty pleasure, now I can be out of the closet about it, <laughs> <laughs> is that I would listen to these books and the genre is called Cozy Comfort. Mm. So have you heard of Cozy Comfort? So think about Murder, She Wrote. Okay. Okay. So Angela Lansbury, and there's always a murder or crime that happens during the week, and the community actually becomes a part of a character. So these books are always out of almost like this formula, but there's, there are these different aspects where you learn the characters and the community, and that becomes a part of the existence of the books and the series. But what I noticed is that, and it was great in the sense of the main character is always a protagonist. The protagonist is always a woman. She, mm -hmm. She's usually always white, but she's also lives this life that's unencumbered, right? So she mm -hmm. doesn't have kids. She's not married, but she usually has a, a romantic interest. Mm. She's financially free because usually she's an entrepreneur. So she has her own bookstore or coffee store or whatever. Right. But everyone's usually always white. And if there are people of color who pop up, we're like an accessory. And I say, man, these books are so relaxing. They're so easy. I just wish that they had more people who look like me. And I thought, 
why don't you write those books? Yes. So I'm writing a series, Magnolia Murder series. Um, the book will drop next year, although we're going to have some vignettes this year. And it gives me so much joy. So it's a space for me to be able to be creative. The main character, Tamika Robinson, like us, she's a recovering attorney. And she all, and she goes out, makes a bet on her own, and she owns her own series of water shops, which are like chartering boats, scuba diving lessons, you know, mm-hmm. swim lessons and stuff that people don't think about Black people doing that, right? Mm-hmm. Her best friend, multi-generational, college educated. Her dad's a CFO, has been a CFO at several different companies. Their good friend, Gabe, is mom binary, short for Gabriel, but it's like a Black MacGyver. Their friend, Anna, is a partner at a firm. She's Mexican-American. But the, the whole theme is about, one, we usually exist in the imaginations and the creativity of white people. And it's a dangerous place to be, right, as the quote yes. says. And I thought, wow, when we do see ourselves as free and powerful, it's usually with Afrofuturism. Mm. Or it's usually like, like Black Panther, which we yeah. all loved and why? Because we weren't steeped in trauma. And usually our stories are about, and our experiences are about our trauma, right? Or how we overcame and what happened, but it's always steep in that. And I was like, we need a new story. It can't be for like, you know, once we have um, vibranium and it can't be about in the civil rights era. And it sure as hell can't be now where we still see Breonna Taylor and George Floyd. So what is it going to be? And I was like, we need to create new stories out of our now. So these are their present day books. They're regular people. And it goes back to where you started us from, which is about community. Yeah. And how we choose our own communities and how we're brilliant and how we're successful. And people don't think of, and we're not a monolith. And how we have moments of joy and love. And I was like, two caveats. The folks of color are never going to die in these books. And we are never going to be the perpetrator of crimes. But it's in the Southeast. And it's like the whole idea is success on our own terms. And I'm so excited about it. I mean, we have a whole, even a whole product line oh um, under this Geechee name called Nuff, which under Geechee, if people don't know, it's um coast of South Africa. I mean, coast of South Carolina, where I'm from, um, where many of us still reside coming directly from um, ships that brought enslaved people over. But Nuff means what? It means abundance. Mm-hmm. It means plenty. It means full. So the exact opposite of that scarcity mindset. Yes. But it's in that healing in that community space. So I'm like super excited about it. And we have live launches that are going to drop next year. Live means Seattle, Detroit, Atlanta. It means we're going, there's going to be actors involved. We have a James Beard mixologist making our drinks. We have, it's just, it's, and I'm really excited. And we have a great um, reader's guide. So that, one, we can have these kind of conversations we're having in terms of in community and connection and vibing off of it and seeing models of people who look like us and maybe showing what's really possible for us, but also for folks who don't look like us, white folks, to be able to close the proximity gap and understand us in a, through a different lens in a different way. Yeah. So when they pick up a beach read, they're reading about Amina, you know, Amir, Ben, Tamika, whoever. And they can actually like what black people live like this. Oh man! And maybe they'll fall in love with the characters too. Maybe that means they don't have to touch our hair in the office because they're reading about, um, you know, Tamika saying, "I'm so glad I don't have to wear wigs, weaves, relaxers anymore." And the reader, got, the reader's guide goes to what? Have you ever had to 
worry about not getting a promotion because of your hair, yeah. wearing your hair, how it grows out of your head and a link to go to the Crown Act for them to read about these different things. So hopefully as an education tool, a dialogue, but it's not at our expense. It's not that you got to bring in a person of color as a DEI person to deal with all your crazy questions or that you need to go to Sasha on the street and touch your hair or right. live in these made up stories about us. You can do your own work within community and read it and out of something really fun, like a fiction book. Right. So I'm really excited about that series dropping um, next year. So I go, that just brought me so much joy. Like, I, I just love it. And but I love us. But it's us. That's our reality. Right. right. I mean, when you name the characters, I'm like, that could be any one of my friends. You know, that's, that's so the reality. Amiga, right. And ben. <laughs> so yes, it's us. I was like, this isn't inaccessible. This is, I don't even need to stretch because this is us. But one, a lot of us don't see ourselves like that. And we're, I hate, I have so much, I have a lot of issues with us calling ourselves unicorn, the only, the this, yeah. the that, because I'm like, unicorn is normal. And we are, are common and vibrant and vivid and amazing. The yeah. more you make it seem singulatory, it is lonely. Yeah. And I said, like, a few years ago, I said that, right? I was just like, I don't like being called a unicorn because yes. unicorns do not exist. And I'm standing here in front of you. And it's and lonely. Unicorn. Lonely. Yeah. And we have our communities and we have our tribes. And we're not always the first either. So it's this right. idea of us getting off of sometimes a pedestal ourselves. But also this idea of we need to scale what it looks like to be in joy, to be, you know, happy and whole, not assimilating, even not assimilating an idea of what our families of origin might impose upon us. Right. Yeah. I go, you know, I can go on for days with you. Um, now, I'm just glad to be here with you. One day soon, we will be sharing space. Yes. <laughs> and not yes. video. Yes. In, in person, in person, we'll make it happen. Thank you so much for this. How can people get in contact with you? So my website, www, there it is, dot rarecoaching.net. And also on Instagram, um, at rare underscore coach. And I'm really, we're really active on LinkedIn. So, and we'll be launching a LinkedIn live soon, but LinkedIn for sure. Wonderful. Thank you for having me, Sasha. Thank you so much. My soror, my friend. Listen, I'm always confused. Although your background makes it clear. <laughs> All right. If anybody is confused, I even wore pink for this occasion. <laughs> <laughs> So thank you so much. Thank you for everyone for joining us in this conversation today. Um, I hope you were able to get some nuggets of information out of this because it, it's just so critical, the importance of community, the importance of doing the things that are right for you, not for just right for the people that are around you. Um, be sure to subscribe and follow us on YouTube, follow us on your favorite podcast um, platform, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye.